Own Your Creativity, Episode 79. If you have people around you who take art seriously, it helps you take it more seriously too. It helps you, you know, when it's nine o'clock at night and you're exhausted, it helps you commit more when you see other people who are essentially good role models around you. I'm Elizabeth Johnston, and I'm here to help you unlock your creative potential so that you think, feel, and do better in life and at work. Have you been inspired by the Own Your Creativity podcast? Then I invite you to show your support today by becoming a patron of the Own Your Creativity podcast. Just go to bit.ly forward slash creativity patron to find out more. Your monthly pledge will make a huge difference. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited today to be talking to Dory Clark. She is the author of Reinventing You from Harvard Business Review Press 2013 and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, she is a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Entrepreneur and the World Economic Forum blog. Recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. magazine, Clark is a marketing strategy consultant and speaker for clients including Google, Microsoft, Yale University, Fidelity, and the World Bank. Welcome to the show, Dory. Hey, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. I'm just really intrigued by the way that your career has, your career path, because you started off as a business professor. Is that right? Ah, uh, that actually came later. I, really? I started out as a uh, well intended to be uh, an academic, and then uh, I didn't get into any of the doctoral programs they applied <laughs> to, and uh, so then I thought, oh, I'll be a journalist, and uh, I did that for a year, and then I got laid off, <laughs> and uh, so then I said, well, okay, uh, I've been a political reporter, so I, I'll I'll work in politics, and I'll do. I was a, a, a spokesperson for a gubernatorial campaign, for a presidential campaign in the U.S., and uh, and and then they all lost. So, uh, so I had to do a lot of a lot of different things before I found my route. Um, but eleven years ago, I started my current business where I do marketing strategy consulting and writing and speaking. And the teaching actually uh, came later in my career. Oh, okay. So um, this is just a little side question, but um, given your political background, um, what are your thoughts today? About the situation today. <laughs> the situation, capital T, capital yes. S. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think it, it, it takes a, uh, a formal pundit to say it's all effed up, Elizabeth. <laughs> That's, that would be my that would be my view. Um, I actually do uh, one, one of the hats that I that I wear these days. I know you're in Montreal, as we were just discussing. Um, I actually do regular political commentary for CTV in Canada, and so typically it's slightly more nuanced than it's all effed up but um but yes it, it has been fascinating to watch i mean having having done uh presidential campaign communications uh i will say this is a this is a very different era because of course one of the things that we were most concerned with i uh i worked for howard dean during the 2004 election cycle um was you know even even for candidates that really pride themselves on their authenticity we always wanted to very carefully manage the message we wanted to try to make sure that uh that everybody from the candidate on down 
was on the same page, talking about the same issues, that we were driving the message that we wanted rather than that our opponents or the, the press wanted. And uh, and what we've what we've seen out of the White House is a much more ad hoc and improvisational style that while um, interesting to, uh, to to watch and fascinating to behold is uh, geopolitically unsteadying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where uh, on CTV can we find you? Well, you know, I uh, I, I kind of pop up here and there. What typically happens is that there is uh, there is breaking news of some kind. Um, t- typically, uh, <laughs> so, someone has been fired from the White House yet again, and they, and they and so they call me up very urgently and say, "Can you come on in five minutes?" And so uh, and so, so sometimes uh, sometimes if I'm you know not out at dinner or something like that, I, I am able to do it. So it's a, a little bit hit or miss, but um, I uh, I do end up on, uh, with, a, with a fair degree of frequency, I would say maybe on average, uh, at least once a week, maybe twice a week. Cool. So, you know, speaking about wanting to have a consistent but authentic message, um, you know, as a political candidate, I think that this actually is an important point for anybody who is in business or even writers but you know um, one of your books is reinventing you define your brand image your future and and so why is that you know important to um, redefine who you are and figure out what your message is why is that so necessary for professional success today yeah, thank you. Great, great question. And also, I'll, I'll just I'll just mention for anyone that uh, that for some reason wants to wants to go deep in the political commentary. Uh, actually, on my website, I have uh, I have a compendium of all the CTV clips. Um, so if folks want to go to doryclark.com and then uh, just in the uh, in the scroll boxes at the top, you can go to on TV. You can see all of the uh, all of the various commentary. But to answer your question, Elizabeth. You know, why is uh, controlling your message, reinventing your message so necessary? I mean, ultimately, the problem that that we see for um, for many professionals today, I mean, we all know instinctively that the world has gotten more uh, more crowded, noisier. There's a lot more competition out there. Um, the, the good news with with gatekeepers uh, coming down everywhere is that everybody has an equal chance of being heard. Uh, you have you have the ability to break through. There is that potential. But of course, more and more people are trying to do it. And so it becomes really challenging. And so it is important for all of us as as you know writers as memoirists as whatever we're trying to do to get clear on what the message is that we would like to be projecting to people because if we leave it to chance odds are everyone around us is going to have a slightly different impression of who we are or what we do. Oftentimes, I I discovered in the course of researching Reinventing You, um, even the people closest to you often have a very outdated perception of who you are because they haven't they haven't really had to seriously think about it. They think about, you know, what you were like when they first met you, like that was the time they were forming their impressions. And maybe you've known them three or three years or five years, and they've just never really consciously thought about it. And so it becomes really essential for us because over time we are changing and growing. Our, our goals might be different. Our ambitions might be different. And we want to be communicating regularly with people so that when they hear about good connections for us, good opportunities for us, that we are the people that are top of mind for them so that they will make those 
connections. And, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes people worry that they have to be obnoxiously self-promotional in order to, to, to do this, you know, in order to stay top of mind for people. But that, that really isn't the case. I mean, some there's very simple things that people can do, but just a lot of folks don't. I'll give you one example. Almost always, if you see somebody at a party, let's say, that you haven't seen for a while, they're going to ask you a really basic question. So, Elizabeth, what have you been up to lately? Right? We right. know that that question's coming, yeah. obviously. <laughs> and yet so many people, they just flub it. They, they yeah. just haven't thought about it. And they say, well, oh, nothing much, blah, 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 same old, same old. It's like, really? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Because if you use that opportunity, I mean, this is not you bragging. This is you answering a question someone asked. If you're able to say to that person, oh, well, I'm really excited because I just published a short story in XYZ publication. Or, oh, I just, uh, you know, I'm looking for an agent. I just uh, have been sending around my, my manuscript. I've been, you know, looking for connections for that. Or, oh, I, uh, I'm getting ready to publish my memoir uh, in three months. You know, those, those are things where people say, oh, really? That's interesting. That's newsworthy. That's noteworthy. And it helps keep them updated on what the milestones are in your life. Well, I like the point that you made about uh, that people form their impression of you when they met you and, you know, three or five years or 10 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, I think especially with family, they've got an impression of you that's like really outdated, but it's kind of up to us to uh, refresh that definition because we change all the time. And I'd never really thought about, you know, the people close to you, you know, um, friends and family that, you know, they, they could uh, like, use a, a refresher and like, you know, who you are. Um, I think it's a really great point. So a lot of the, the listeners here are, you know, from creative writing um, fields, you know, memoir or screenwriting and, and, and that sort of thing. And what can they take away from uh, your book, Reinventing You? Like, how is it that that can help them in what they're trying to achieve in their lives? Yeah, well, I think one one point that is really critical to stress is that as you are working to, to make a transition into the place that you want to be, as you are really establishing yourself as a writer, one of the things that, that is essential and yet ironically often lags is the support of family and friends. We, we might assume that these people are going to be our closest allies and they're going to be your cheerleaders and, and things like that. But but often uh, they're the ones that that are, are going to be you know sort of saying oh well you know yay that's that's really great but um, isn't it a little a little risky to do that full time or you know oh you know maybe you should just you know stay stay with your day job or oh you know you you've been trying for that for so long that's so great that you're doing it but you know when when are you going to you know really get serious about blah 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 and <laughs> you know that. The thing is, it's so incredibly frustrating, but they're trying to be helpful. They really think they're trying to be helpful, but of course, you know, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I think that one of the things that, that we have to do is we have to, to realize you can't necessarily count on people's support. You have to earn their support. Mm -hmm. And that seems weird and stupid and frustrating when you're talking about the people that really should be in your corner. However, it, it becomes uh, a, a, a game of managing perceptions. And one of the ways that you can really do this is by thinking strategically about how you are presenting yourself in the world. And so, uh, you know, for instance, 
it becomes a question – I'm a big fan of content creation. Now, obviously, the act of writing – creative writing itself is an act of content creation. But there are ways that you can support your your reputation among your friends and colleagues as a writer and get them to take you more seriously and really support you in the way that you need and deserve um, by by thinking about it even more holistically. So for instance, um, maybe it's just periodically in, in between uh, the creative work that you're doing on your own project. It could be, for instance, on your social media accounts, sharing articles about the writing process or mm-hmm. about you know writing tips or things like that, which kind of remind people, uh, particularly if you have a day job and they might think of you in a different capacity, like, oh, yeah, she's really into this. Oh, yeah, she's taking this seriously. She keeps, you know, sort of sharing this writing-related content. Or, you know, maybe it's it's publicly sharing milestones with people. Maybe you use your Twitter or your Facebook to say, you know, oh, wow, you know, so proud I finished a thousand words today or, you know, whatever, just to, mm-hmm. to let people know that this is not a whim. This is not you being like, oh, I want to be a writer this is you doing stuff and when when you get your your allies your closest people on your side then that makes almost anything possible so why should writers see themselves as a brand what are the advantages for the success of their artistic goals to see themselves as a brand well you know i think i i want to first talk about language a little bit because the term personal brand. It, it actually, it's uh, its literally uh, exactly 20 years old. It comes from a cover story in Fast Company magazine that came out in 1997. It was written by Tom Peters, who's a well-known management thinker. And it, the cover story was called The Brand Called You. And, uh, and it, you know, it, it essentially argued that, that in current society, people do need to think of themselves, uh, the, you know, the way maybe that a, that a brand, you know, a brand like, you know, whatever, a Tide detergent or something would. Um, that concept, especially, in, in fact, to a lot of creative people, is, I, I, I think, uh, it risks being offensive. It yeah. kind of gets people's hackles up because mm. I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not a detergent. <laughs> but I, I really want to push back because I, I think that some of the resistance really comes from an inaccurate caricature of what people are talking about. Because essentially, even though the modern terminology, you know, personal brand is 20 years old, what we are talking about is something incredibly foundational, incredibly basic. A personal brand is nothing more and nothing less than a synonym for your reputation. Ah. That's, that's all it is. And so the question is, what is your reputation? Is your reputation uh, an insurance agent who entertains herself a little bit on the side by writing? Or is your reputation a writer who is doing what she needs to do in order to get her art seen by the world? How would you rather be seen? And so I think it's about taking control of how other people see you. And, you, you, you know, of course we can't literally control what's in every person's mind but if you if you are thoughtful about how you are presenting yourself if you're thoughtful about some basic things like well what do i talk about on social media or when i'm at you know having conversations with people what are the things that i bring up you know what do i share about myself and my life if you just put a little bit of thought into it you can actually have a very big impact on how others perceive you and how seriously they take the endeavor that you have committed yourself to doing I think that's actually revolutionary to think of 
brand as your reputation. I think brand, I mean, everybody can understand the importance of reputation, but when you just consider that your, your brand is your reputation, I think it, it makes it a lot more palatable, but makes it, you know, much more doable too, you know, just to put energy into, um, uh, you know, more and more thought into what it is that you're going to say to people when, when you encounter them, like in a networking situation. Now, one of the things is that, when we think of artists or writers that there they are in their room by themselves scribbling away or writing on, on their typewriter um, or their computer. Um, and, um, and, and that, that's kind of like the image that, that we have. But in fact, um, you know, all great art happens in the concert of others, you know, in a sense of community. And, and, you know, what role do you feel that networking plays in, um, in a, in a writer's networking and, and personal brand um, development. Yeah, I think this is a really important question, Elizabeth. So I'm glad that, that you brought it up. I mean, I think anyone who cares about writing is probably familiar with you know the big examples of this. You know, oh, the the Harlem Renaissance, yeah. Bloomsbury, Paris in the twenties. You know, we we can all think of of these these scenes where it was it was like almost everybody involved in it somehow was able to uh, to to get well known. They were doing amazing things. The Beats, yeah. you know, and and the, the question, I think a lot of us look at that and we're like, wow, gosh, I wish I was lucky enough to have been there at that time. You know, like the rising tide lifts all boats. And, right. and you know, we, and then we look at our own lives and communities and it's like, oh, you know, where, where are my people? Hey, listeners, I wanted to pop in here to underscore a really important point. That question, where are my people? is such a significant one because how you go about answering it will affect the development of your voice, your writing style, and your impact in the world. And that's one of the reasons that I host so many online events. I want to encourage writers to connect with like-minded people, get inspired, and keep the momentum going so they realize their writing dreams. The next event I'm hosting is coming up this October 20th to the 22nd. It's called the Writing Weekend Event. It's free and it's on Facebook in a private group. To get more information on it, go to ownyourcreativity.com forward slash writing hyphen weekend or sign up at bit.ly forward slash writing weekend. That's all one word, bit.ly forward slash writing weekend or go to ownyourcreativity.com forward slash writing hyphen weekend. Now back to the interview with Dory Clark where she talks about why a writer's network is so critical. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, but I, I think I, I have two thoughts about this. Number one, I do think that your network is pretty critical because, of course, it's uh, on many levels. I mean, A, if you have people around you who take art seriously – it helps you take it more seriously too. It helps you, you know, when it's nine o'clock at night and you're exhausted, do, do you sit down at the keyboard to, to put in that, that little bit of extra effort because you committed to writing every day? Or do you just say, and, you know, go, go off to bed or, or, you know, watch Netflix or something. I, I think it helps, it helps you commit more when you see other people who are essentially good role models around you. And, also, their art helps make your art better. You get into dialogue with them. That's powerful. Yeah. But also, 
you have uh, you have the benefits of connections. If you have someone, I mean, I, I do this in my community with speakers and business authors and things like this. I mean, it's enormously helpful if you get an offer to have you know a, a short story published or screenplay optioned or something like that. To, you don't know these things are all completely opaque. If you have somebody that you could say, hey. Um, how much do they pay you for that? That makes a huge difference in terms of your knowledge and awareness and your ability to be successful. You have people who can recommend you for things, recommend you for fellowships or positions or you know, nudge the editor that, no, no, you, you need to take a look at, at this. Uh, so I think that's critical. Now, the truth is um, – if you live in a major city, there, there may be meetups or already maybe a scene that you can plug into if you apply yourself to doing that. You can, of course, organize your own uh, gatherings as well, which can be helpful. But even if you don't, even if you're in a more remote area, I mean, thankfully, thankfully these days with the internet, we are able to create very robust and vibrant online communities that a lot of people can choose to participate in. If you if you put in the work, you can build the relationships. Now, is online going to do everything for you? No, it's not. You're going to need to be the one that takes the initiative to say, hey, you seem cool. Can we set up a Skype call? Hey, you seem cool. Are you going to be at such and such conference in a couple of months? Maybe we could have coffee there because I'll be there too. But if you do that, you, you really do have the ability to, to uh, take those connections to a deeper level. So one of your books is standout and um, standout in, in networking too. And so how what do you recommend that writers do to help them stand out when they are networking? Yeah, I think I think that uh, when it comes to networking, it, this is an area that I have thought about a lot. Uh, Partly because I am an introvert, and and I, I would suspect that perhaps a, a high share of writers might be as well. And it, what I've really come to learn is that networking, as it is commonly conceived, networking kind of in the you know the the stereotype of what people think of, you know, oh, it's the big chamber of commerce mixer or something like yes. that. <laughs> that that is optimized for extroverts. You know, there's there's no question. And so can can you do this? Can you be successful at it? Can you learn to be successful at it? Yeah, sure, you can. I mean, people can learn anything. But do you do you want to do it? Do you need to do it? No. Actually, you don't. And so something that I argue for quite forcefully is that if there are forms of networking that you really despise, and I I have come to realize about myself that if something is noisy, if it is uh too early in the morning or too late at night, uh, if it's a bunch of – if it's a very large number of strangers, these are things I don't like. And so I've just said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to make myself do them anymore because that's not the only way that you can network. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've just opted out of it because I – I don't enjoy them and I don't want to make myself miserable. Um, what I do instead, however, I, I, I think that um, a mistake that some people make is they opt out of it and then they don't do anything. Right. No, you know, that, <laughs> that really is not a good idea. You need to network in some way, but it's important to network in a way that makes you um, happy. Uh, so sorry about that. That was that was my kitten. <laughs> a big big clatter. I don't know if you heard that. Um, but uh, but there are ways that you can network that work for introverts, and that that in particular over time you can kind of iterate to see what works for you. This is a big point that I make in in my ebook, Standout Networking. And so for me. Part of how I was able to develop my scene in New York City when I moved here three years ago, I didn't really 
I, I mean, I knew people in a really casual sense, but I didn't have any good friends here, none at all. Uh, but I was able to, to build that from the ground up because I started inviting people to small dinner gatherings. And that was a way that I liked a lot better. It was a group of, you know, let's say six to 10 people. It's a lot more manageable. And I was able to get them to know them much more deeply and, uh, and in a more targeted fashion. And some of those people actually turned into really great friends and really great connections. So did you have these uh, dinner parties at your home or at a restaurant? Um, if someone's a great cook, they should by all means think about doing them at their home. However, that is not the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just had them at a, at a restaurant. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty chill. I, the, the, the criterion that I used, I tried to pick a restaurant that had a relatively good range of, of options that could uh, handle people's different dietary restrictions. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that people do it at a restaurant that's all steaks or all oysters or whatever. You know, <laughs> um, these days everybody kind of has their own thing. And uh, and and also, um, if you uh, either have a lot of money or a great deal of largesse, certainly you could buy everyone's dinner. But instead, what I decided to do because I was doing this pretty frequently and didn't want to bankrupt myself is I just <laughs> made sure that I held them in a restaurant that was willing to do separate checks. Right. Right, right. So your most recent uh, book, your upcoming book is coming out tomorrow, October 3rd, and it's entitled Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams and Thrive. So I'd really love if you tell us a little bit about um, the book and how specifically it can help writers who want to make a living from their expertise and their craft. Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. So I really consider Entrepreneurial You to be, in many ways, the culmination of my of my trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, if Reinventing You is a book about how to get to the place professionally you want to be and stand out is the book about how to excel once you're there, how to come to be known as one of the best in your field, Entrepreneurial You is about how to make a, a successful and, and great living from doing it. It's how to make money from your ideas. And I think that especially for writers, I mean, we, we all know that this is the case. Writing, unfortunately, unless, unless you're Stephen King, unless you're John Grisham, often is not incredibly remunerative. You have to be creative about how you, you bring in money. And so I think a lot of writers are already doing this instinctively. Um, but for Entrepreneurial You, this is, this is very much intended to be, this is the only book I know of uh, out there like it. But it, it is a breakdown of a variety of different ways that you can create multiple income streams and really leverage your expertise, leverage the work that you're doing so that you can uh, cr create your own career stability, even if you're freelance, even if you have uh, you know, a, a day job but are trying to balance things on the side. And so, for instance, of course, you know, obviously a writer can be paid directly for his or her work. You, know, you get, you get the, the screenplay bought or you get the, you know, the book contract. That's great. Um, but in addition to that, what else can you do? Well, you know, there's there's teaching, there's speaking, there's coaching, there's uh, there's ghostwriting. You know, there's a, there's a million different possibilities. Maybe you know, take it take it even another level. Maybe you create a paid online membership community for writers. Maybe you could organize workshops. Maybe you could organize uh, if you want to get you know really big. You could you could organize a you know a conference of some kind. And if you know your audience well enough, if you if you really know, hey, this is what people are clamoring for, and you give it to them. Them, it is a way to really build and deepen loyalty with the people who follow you and also create good good income streams for yourself. And that's how we create genuine 
economic security that enables us to keep doing the thing we love and the thing that we're passionate about. I think it's so important what you say about um, multiple streams of income um, and and looking at different offshoots um, that complement what we already do. And I think it's actually an example of what you did. You know, um, you know when when you first started out, you thought like, oh well, you know that didn't work out, so I'll apply here. That didn't work out, so I'll do this. Like you know, or that you know, then I got laid off. And so so you know, in today's um, economy and society, it really seems like that we. Have have to be nimble we have to be quick thinkers and we have to think about how we can maximize what we have so that we have that security um, and and thrive within it not just like live paycheck to paycheck so it seems like it's like a whole new way of living yeah in a, in a lot of ways it really is I mean this the statistics are uh, really impressive for, for for people that that you know haven't necessarily been paying attention over time to hear this currently currently. Thirty-five percent of the American workforce is freelance or wow. contractors. I mean, it's it's incredible. By twenty twenty, studies estimate that forty percent will be, and you know this this is this is getting close to half. And so, certainly for those folks, they understand that it is important uh, to not put all their eggs in one basket. That they want to make sure that uh, that they're developing multiple income streams. So that if one thing, if there's a disruption, if somebody says, "Ah, we don't really need that anymore," well, you know, you want to have other options in your back pocket. But even if you are a full-time employee, even if you have a day job, cultivating things on the side, you know, this this is uh, this is the definition of what what writers have done for so long. They they know that uh, that it is important to be placing little bets, to use the phrase uh, from the author Peter Sims, and uh, and see which ones are able to you know really come to fruition. So one of the things that you mentioned as as um, an, an offshoot of your expertise is, is speaking gigs, and I know that you have a TED a TED talk, and um, you know, and then you're on CTV, and you know, so how is it that you leverage your expertise so that you can get that so, sort of speaking uh, or you know um, expert exposure? Yeah, this is this is a great question. So I actually uh, this is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and studying. I um, actually developed a, an online course last year called Recognized Expert, which uh, really kind of walks people through the process of how to become a recognized expert in their field. And I've written about this for the Harvard Business Review. There's there's fundamentally three pieces involved in becoming a recognized expert, which which in in many ways is is the is the prerequisite for getting speaking invitations. Um, you know, people. People, people want experts on stage, right? So how right. do you how do you get to be thought of in that way? Uh, and so three three categories: content creation, social proof, and your network. And so we've touched on some of these, but just to explain briefly, content creation is uh, you know the very basic idea: if people don't know what your ideas are. They don't know if your ideas are any good. <laughs> and so obviously, again, for writers, a lot of the content creation is going to be the thing itself that you're producing, the memoir, the screenplay, the the novel, whatever it is. But it also is useful for you to write about the writing process. Um, that can be very helpful to, to help people really you know, see you in that expert light uh, and say, oh, I really like how she thinks about this. Um, so the second piece is social proof. This is a term that gets – it's borrowed from psychology. It gets thrown around a lot. But essentially what it means is what is your level of credibility? What is it about you that makes other people say, 
oh, I should pay attention to what she's saying. She's not just a random person. And so essentially a quick way to think about this is what are the affiliations that you have that you can draft off of reputationally? So maybe you are an adjunct instructor at a university for creative writing. That would be a form of social proof. Maybe you've been published in publications that, that other people have heard of. Maybe if you're a screenwriter, oh, your work was you know, optioned by XYZ filmmaker that, that people have heard of. You know, those, those kinds of things really matter. And so it's important to try to think about how to accrue them and then make sure it's in your bio, make sure people know about it. And then th- third and finally, this is a piece that we started out with, is your network. Um, a, you're known by the company you keep. So if you're traveling, in that circle, that's great. But B, your network is often your your earliest evangelist that can help spread the word about you. These are the people that can refer you to conference organizers or things like that for speaking engagements. But if you do these three pieces, if you really double down on becoming a recognized expert, um, then the speaking engagements fortunately come come to you. Um, That's a great place to be in. However, uh, in the earliest stages before before people are coming to you, um, I would say, you know, for a lot of conferences, they do have open calls, open application processes where you can uh, fill out and kind of make your pitch. And if you're if your topic is compelling enough to your audience, and if you can, you know, make a good case about why you should be the person to deliver it, uh, then you'll have a chance to do that. And once you have spoken at a few of those, you could say, "Oh, well, you know, Dory Clark has been a speaker at A, B, and C conferences." That becomes a form of social proof, which later on encourages other conference organizers to say, "Oh, she spoke there. Well, I should get her too." Right, right. So, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? Well, you know, one one resource that I I just want to mention for uh, your audience, Elizabeth, is I actually have a, a free resource. It is uh, it's a forty two page standout self assessment workbook that helps people really um, kind of home in on what their what their breakthrough idea is, you know, what they what they want to be known for in the world, and then uh, helps walk them step by step through the process of how to spread that. And so, uh, if folks are interested, they can they can download that uh, totally for free off my website. It's doryclark.com/slash/join J-O-I-N, and they can get that free forty-two page standout self assessment. Awesome! Thank you so much for taking the time today, Dory. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you're a writer in need of a creative kickstart and want to connect with like-minded people, join us in the Writing Weekend on October 20th to the 22nd. It's free and on Facebook in our private group. To sign up and for more information, go to bit.ly forward slash writing weekend. Until next time, own your creativity so that you think, feel, and do better in your personal and professional life. 